Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I want to speak this morning just for a bit as we go into the next weekend and God is adding and giving us leaders. And I want to speak this morning when God gives us leaders. When God gives the church leaders, when He gives you leaders, it's not something we speak a lot about, actually, at church. When I grew up in church in the 90s and the late 90s and the early, it was the every week subject. If you had a a course on sexuality, it was called a leadership course. If you had a course about marriage, it was called a leadership course. If you had a course about good hermeneutics of the Bible, it was called a leadership course. Everything was leadership. Every conversation was leadership. John Maxwell was at the peak of his game, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. The world was obsessed by leadership in the 90s. And it seems like that conversation has gone quiet, and yet I still believe it's an incredibly important conversation. And next Friday night, I want to strongly encourage you, if, if your favorite movie is on, if Friday night is your Stokies and your fancy pajamas night, I don't know what your Friday night looks like, and we don't ever do church on Friday night except for the youth and Vox. But I want to strongly encourage you to come and celebrate what God is doing, because it's actually not about three couples. It's not about a few people. It's about what God does when He raises and releases leaders for a future. And I just looked through the Bible, and, and I was so, is that clear? I want to encourage you, come Friday night, come next weekend. That couple, Craig and Andy Clark, you maybe don't know very well, but they've been unbelievably profound in our story by leading us. So in moments like this, we go get the big shots who lead us, who sort us out, who speak into our lives and our marriages as leadership, and we need those voices. Everyone needs leaders So come and celebrate what God is doing because whenever God releases leadership in His Word, He always does that before moving His people into new things, great things, mighty things. It's what happens. When God seems to release leaders, it always precedes more of His glory and more land taken for His kingdom and more advancing of His kingdom. So don't see this as, yay, good for those guys. I I want to ask you this morning, I want to provoke you to a posture and a position of, This is for us in our lives. Somehow, even though I might not know who Bunty Chirimiri is, not Kirimiri, Bunty is, or Pelesa, or or Brett and Shelley who are at um, Milneton and maybe don't see them every week at all, or or even Tyler and Kato in the evening, it's actually not about the individuals, it's about what God is doing in a people. How he's calling us and challenging us to more. I, I look at the people he's used and meek Moses. It says that uh, now Moses was really meek in Numbers 12, more than all the people on the face of the earth. And God said, I'm going to choose that guy to lead my people out of slavery through a wilderness for 40 years and get them to the brink of the promised land. I'm going to use the meekest guy on the place of the earth. Why? Because God always knew what he was doing. He seems to choose the, the ones no one else would have chosen. David, who we think is a line, he wasn't even chosen by his own dad. And yet David was seen as the greatest king of the God's own heart to lead his people to worship God in his presence. See, God seems to raise up these people and still use his leaders to lead people into more of what he's got. I, I know that even when I mention the word speaking about leaders, and even if I ask people to get excited, some people in the room are like, ah, being hurt. 
uh, in the world, being hurt, politics, uh, the church, and, and the biggest church in Cape Town are the Duns, the done with church, done with the story. And in most of those stories, there's church hurt, and I know that, and I hate it, and we're not perfect. But God still has His ways, and God still has His, his that, he, that He raises and releases. Look at Jesus. He comes and invests Himself into 12 dudes, fishermen, tax collectors, young teenagers, he says, I'm going to invest myself. I've got three years. I'm going to invest myself. I'm not going on a crusade. I'm not going on a worldwide tour. I'm going to invest myself into 12. Because I'm going to choose them and raise them up as leaders to change the world. And he's still doing it. Bold Nehemiah, build, rebuilds Jerusalem walls in 50 days. The courageous Deborah, who was the only female judge that Israel ever had and was marked by her courage. God raises up men and women for times and seasons so the world can see Jesus. When God raises up men and women, whether in the church or outside of the church, so the world can see Jesus. One of my very best friends has been made the CFO of a very, very big and influential company in this nation. It's not so that he can earn packets of money, although his salary is declared, so I know what he earns. It's actually about the kingdom of God advancing. It's about God wants his men like Nehemiah and the many others, Daniels, in positions and raised up so that the kingdom of God can keep advancing. He takes Peter's life, a rebel. He takes, and, and Paul replicates, says, I'm going to invest myself into Timothy. One Timothy, two Timothy. There's this leader who's Timothy, and we all think, oh, a leader must be strong. No, Timothy. Timid, raised by his mommy and his granny. Has a little tummy problem, so has to have a little bit of wine for his tum-tum. <laughs> and, and Paul says to him, actually, have courage. Get courage. Speak to the rich and call them to give. He, he challenges him, become an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because God keeps raising up the unlikelies to see the kingdom of God advance. And that's what he's doing with us. And I wanted to take this moment because we don't do a lot of leadership talking and presenting who we are as leaders. And it's a little awkward as a leader in a house speaking about leadership and thanking God for leadership. It's a little awkward, so no one actually does it. It's even awkward for me this morning. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because God says, actually, teach my ways. Uh, my life is littered with leadership interventions. It's just what it is. And I've had the privilege of being in church since I was 14 years old. And through those years, there's been moments, but you know who it wasn't always? It wasn't always the dude in the front with the microphone. Another Hilton boy named Rory Dyer, who was at the center of all those interventions. There was a redhead guy who was three years ahead of me at school. His name was Bruce Dixon. He was the leader of our SEA. Bruce Dixon got in my face one day. I was 16 years old. He was 19 years old. He got in my face and said words I've never forgotten. He said, always the joker, always a joke. And he said, God's got things in your life, but if you won't stop being the joker, you'll always be the joke. And at 16 years old, God began to speak. He said, I need to fashion something out of you so I can fashion something into you so that I can get all the glory. Because this mouth, in a very small body, learned to make a joke of everything so that I didn't become the joke. But the result was I became the joke. That's a guy named Bruce Dixon who wanted to people to know he had, but most of you will never hear preach. 
He's in Canada now, but he was a leader to me. In my life, there was a man named Cedric Van Dane who led our youth. And if I'm being brutally honest, and this is recorded, we did not get on at all. Not even in the slightest. He was the very different person to who I was as a teenager. But I'm grateful to God for that man. He would preach. He would teach the word of God with such passion and spit pouring out of his mouth on a Friday night. He would call us to pray. As teenagers, he called teenagers to all-night prayer meetings. I didn't want to be there. But a leader called me, and I knew God was upon him to lead me at that time. So I allowed God to use that man. I'm so grateful for that. I've got other stories. Derek Andrews was my wife's. My wife got saved only a month and a half, two months before we started going out. So she was a new Christian, and, and in our church, it, that's, excuse the language, a little bit of a feeding frenzy for the young guys. Woohoo! <laughs> so my mate said, I got back from England. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying this. So I said, you got three weeks. And we're married now. So, and, uh, but I thought the right thing to do was go to her leader, her life group leader, and say, hey, I'm Mark, and, and I'm dating Candace, and I just want to bring it above board. You know, I'm a good-mannered boy, got taught some manners. So uh, I did that. You know what he did? He sat me down. He said, that's fine. He said, but God's got more for you. And he started prophesying into my life. And when I tell you the guy he was prophesying into was an arrogant punk who didn't want to give time to Jesus, let alone give his life and his story. And he started to prophesy. He was the first man that began to prophesy some of the purposes of God in my life. I walked away from that, that time and my life was forever changed. Within two months, I was leading a life group in church at 21 years old because a man got stuck into my world. Standing Heather Phipps, navigating a young couple who had passions raging and helping me and us navigate that story. And then a man named Rory Dyer, who you hear a lot about because sometimes I preach the gospel according to Rory Dyer because I grew up under that voice for 18 years. And he used to say to the church, even when I never wanted to be a pastor, I was fascinated with this man because God gave him as a gift to me. It didn't matter there were 2,000 other people in the room. He gave him as a gift in his time of my life to me. And he would tell the room, please close your eyes. God wants to minister. And you know what I would do? I wouldn't close my eyes. I wanted to watch. I wanted to see where he looked and where he walked because I wanted to do something like that one day. Maybe if God's grace was in it, maybe he would use me to love people the way Rory used to love people. I'm so grateful to God. I actually want to jump right ahead to it. I wasn't going to speak about that. I want to go to 1 Kings 1. Maybe you can turn your Bibles there. As I present something of what it is to, to be a part of a leadership story and, and to, to submit yourself to, to a leadership story. And this is the story of David. 1 Kings starts, David's dying. And I'll get back to my notes now, so stay calm. But David's dying. The king is dying. And he's got sons. And David was many things. He was a worshiper. He was a great king. But actually, what we know, he wasn't a great father. It says this about his son, Adonijah, who started positioning himself and jostling to become the next king. Although God's hand wasn't in for him to become the next king, he started positioning and jostling like young men do. And he gets chariots and he gets worked up and he gets his brothers round. 
And it becomes an embarrassing scenario because his brother becomes king and he ends up having to ask his brother for permission to stay in the land. He has to ask his brother for permission to marry because of the silly things that he did. But it's an amazing thing in 1 Kings 1 verse 5. Now Adonijah, this is at the start of the story, whose mother was Haggith, great names, put himself forward and said, I will be king. Ever done that? I've done it. I should have got that promotion back in a corporate world of competition. I should have got that. Why did he get it? So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father has never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next to Absalom. And David was many amazing things. But I read that, I see a young man whose story becomes one embroiled in embarrassment because he stuck his hand up into place he shouldn't. He should have stepped up into place he shouldn't. And it actually, the Bible says the reason is because his father never asked him, why do you do what you do? And sometimes the fathers and the mothers and the parents and the leaders we get given in this life don't ask that question, specifically outside of the church, because only in the church, as we come together as the body of Christ, there's an investment. I'm invested in this guy's life. I stand there and I see Jerry leading and behind him Josh drumming, and my heart goes this big. My God, what can I do to see those guys change the world? says, but David... Never asked his son, why do you do what you do? See, God uses leaders to do that. Sometimes from a pulpit, out of the word of God, teaching. Sometimes in a life group, when conversations come up, like happened with me, year after year. Sometimes it's a phone call. And maybe you know this story. I'm going to tell it again. A man named Rick Thompson, who was my life group leader. And I was dating Candace. I was studying an MBA at the time, which means I studied till hoppers nine, ten o'clock every night at university. The only time I could see this woman I loved was after that. Not a good remedy, by the way. And at one o'clock in the morning, my car was parked on Manning Road and my phone rang. And it was Rick Thompson, my life group leader. And Rick Thompson said, where are you? And in that split moment, I thought of a thousand places I wanted to tell him I was, but I didn't want to tell him where I was, which was at my girlfriend's house. But I said, I'm at Candace's house. And the conversation went like this, get in your car and go home. Sure. And a brother, not a leader, not some organizational hierarchical rubbish, A brother who had a leadership role in my life, interfered in my life in a way that was uncomfortable, but I'll never know what God protected me from that night. I'll never know what the interference of a brother, what the rebuke of a brother, of a leader in my life, fought for and bought in my life. And I'm very aware, even as I speak on leadership, even in this room, some of you, it's like you want to go into a hole. Like, I I came to this church because no one, no, no. God puts leaders and he raises leaders in lives to step up and to step out so that a people can keep going in. And I'm telling you, there's something of the mandate. And even as we celebrate on Friday, it's not just about what God is doing in those people. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God advancing in the city at this time. 
I'm not sure why I told that story. Was that helpful? I I realize that even in this room, there's people with different backgrounds. Some of you come, and and, and most of the time, issues with leadership come from people who've been in church their whole life. It's because they've come under different kinds of leadership. And um, you get the untouchable leader, the one you never got close to. You, you, just, you just can't touch the, 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 the man of God reality that is cultural in many different cultures. That is, is a, is a beautiful, there's, a, there's a beautiful truth to it that is honor, that we honor God's man and anointed, which is great. But I'm telling you, we dishonor them and we hurt them by placing them outside of the body. That somehow there's Jesus, the man of God, and the body of Christ. That is not in the Bible. And you are actually hurting that man and that family by placing him outside of the body. Because the minute I am outside of the body, I'm in trouble. And the Bible just says there's one head, his name is Jesus, and there's the body. And within the body, there are many parts. And when the parts are working well, there's life and freedom. Please never place any man outside of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter the amount of anointing. It doesn't matter what happens in the room when that man or woman walks around. You're not helping them. What about the elusive leader? What about the abusive leader? Can I just tell you, in 25 years of church, I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. I still believe God uses men and women. And he raises them up for such a time as this to see his kingdom come. And I'm just trying to position us to receive a gift this week. We're receiving gifts. This man and his amazing family are choosing in faith to lay down a 20-year career to step out and go into full-time ministry at the age of 48 in the middle of an economic recession. It doesn't make sense to the world, but they're doing that to love you. Not to step into some hierarchical position. Not to get some claim or fame or to think if they don't do it, God won't love them. They're doing that because they love you. And maybe you don't know them and maybe you don't know that. But there's a big cost to this move. And even asking them, I knew the cost. But I know that they're a gift to this church and they're a gift to the city. And when we receive them like that in our lives... Even if they're different to you. Even if the way they engage is different to you. When we open up our hearts to say, God, I receive the gifts that you give. We step into them all. And there's been this big swing. But I want to make three statements that I was going to argue, but I can't in fullness. I was just going to argue that, number one, leadership is biblical. The Bible says, and Paul writes to Timothy, if someone desires to be an overseer, it is a noble task. And there are multiple references through the Bible that leadership is both prescribed what it looks like and described in terms of how that's involved. Second of all, leadership is theological. It's about holding on to doctrine and moving forward in that. And lastly, leadership is contextually relevant. It's about the context we're in. God raises leaders to lead in that space, to see the kingdom of God come, and to see the forward movement of family and life dynamics continue to flow. And I think we can sometimes tap dance a line that doesn't look like much what the Bible says because of a gift and the way that it operates. And I get scared when I hear statements like fit the church around the pastor's gift. I get scared because I look at the Bible. The Bible clearly says build a family who's on a mission to change the world. Clearly. And we could spend hours there, but I'm not going to because that wasn't my agenda today. I want to tell you a couple of things about how we do leadership. We have an eldership team. It's a weird word. 
I was an elder at 27. That's just weird. I felt weird, but it's a Bible word. And Again, I don't have time to open up every Greek and Hebrew, and, and if you really want the answer, go speak to uh, our PhD theology student over there, Walter. But, but it's God's word description. He says, I want you to have a team, and the revelation to the church, since much of what God has done in the last de- uh, millennium is that he's raised up. He says, I want you to lead a team. I want to raise up men and women, and on our team, we have some guys who are full-time. This is their job, myself, a skinny redhead, and Wayne. We are the only full-time elders. We also have full-time pastors like, uh, like Tyler has been and, and Michael is. And, and we have others who step up. Wayne, Ali, and, and Kelly have been in the story, and I'm probably forgetting. Mariette and others, pastors in our story who aren't full-time, but they work. And then we have Marketplace, and this amazing man and Wayne have been for years, and Quinton. These are guys who you don't know, but they get up every Tuesday morning at 5 o'clock to pray for you in the middle of winter. And Rion, who's in England here, didn't have a car at one stage, used to ride in the middle of winter on his bicycle from Malkbos to here to pray for you by name. Because it's a privilege. Not because of anything else. Because God loves his people. And then behind the scenes, there's this much bigger team of leaders. And some have been laid hands on deacons and others we should have and haven't. And we have a whole bunch of leaders who are leading in different spaces from worship to ministries into into Danoon and areas where God is ministering into other areas of our city. Leaders God has raised up. And we want to work as a team because within that team, all of a sudden, the Turkish pop star of Turkey, I found out. Claire is famous in Turkey. She was in a band that became famous in Turkey. We have a Turkish pop star leading worship. <laughs> I found out everything. And, um, but God raised up gifts, and all of a sudden she's leading us in a church, and she's only been in partnership in the church for a little while, and yet God says, I'm going to raise you because I need to lead my people in worship, and I need voices to proclaim my name. And I don't understand his genius and how he does it. I don't even know how I got to Cape Town, to be honest. I met a man named Wally Gersmeyer at his daughter's wedding. That's how we are here. Not some denominational anything. Not some guy sitting, moving pawns around. No, God saying, I'm going to introduce my people for the forward movement of the kingdom of God. And there are these realities that behind the scenes, there's strategy, there's oversight, there's vision, there's protection. So what are leaders? Well, I promise you this, what they're not. They're not perfect. I promise you. And some of you are like, yes, we know. (laughs) You're allowed to say amen very loud. You can. And they they are not finished articles, and they are definitely not higher than or better than any single. We don't do special seats. We don't do special parkings. We don't do special privileges. There's no mulligans for bad behavior for leaders. It's the same. It's just different roles. It's just family. And there are these qualifications the Bible saying, I am going to teach it because the role of eldership, as we bring these families into the story, is the role of eldership are to guide, govern, and guard the church, the local church. To guide spiritually, to guide doctrinally, theologically, to keep our emphasis going. And we have these other people called apostles who speak into us, who challenge us and keep calling us. But on a local church level, there's the guidance that, hey, Mark, do it this way. No, go this way. No, hold on that. Don't buy that projector now. Let's buy it in six months' time. It's that real. And then to God. 
You don't know some of the battles that happen behind the scenes. And I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm just telling you, don't know. Why? Because God put something in place that not everyone needs to know. Not everyone needs to fight the same battles. But there are battles fought for what we have here. And we can look around and take it for granted. Sunday or Sunday and we come and all of a sudden there are two meetings and four meetings and now we've got a church in the city. It's like awesome. No, there's battles fought for what God would do. There's battles. And, 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 and I want to honor this couple. Um, Louise and Jacques, who step up and lead, and now we've got 14 churches coming to a conference at our church, but they've allowed battles to rage. They've allowed me to step in and interfere in their world with the way they see leadership. Because let's be honest, many people in drug addiction, there's a major authority fight behind and underpinning. So anyone who steps in and out, it doesn't mean that goes away. And they've allowed me to get into their world and to challenge strongly so we can stand here. And with confidence, I can say, Run. But it's been a three-year process. It's been a time where she, they haven't loved me much. I nearly said she, but I'm going to say that. And um, that would have been too revealing. And um, <laughs> why? Because there's a mandate on what God has called me to in this story right now. And God will use another man tomorrow if he wants to. But to God, govern and God. And it's a governmental role to bring order and peace. Actually, there, there are some, some people that God wants to speak and break into situations. There are discussions that need to happen that are awkward and are hard. And have become known as the guy who stretches people and challenges people. And I don't like it. I want to be known as the guy who's nice all the time. And everyone likes me all the time. But it doesn't come with the territory. <laughs> and I'm just teaching. Some simple things. And, and first of all, obviously, is, is Scripture and God and God and providing oversight and shepherd the flock. And there are these components, and you can read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 to 7. Here, here are the qualifications for overseers and deacons. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a good thing. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does, know, does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So when we bring on elders, and I make a statement last week, like we're bringing this young man and his wife onto eldership, please come and talk if you have concerns. I'm asking you to do the Bible and go look. And if you know areas that I don't know about, that I might need to know about, that we can stop the process, I mean it. I actually mean it. It means that all these markers above reproach, free from patterns of sin in life. What about husband of one wife? That's an easier one to read, really. To like be on the same page. Just one. Yes. Temperate. Self-controlled. Not enslaved. Prudent. Respectable. Hospitable. Able to teach. Let me talk about a young man named Tyler Lynn. Who has had more intervening conversations by myself than any single person in this church over the last six years. 
and has allowed that voice to be a part of his story and allowed many voices. He's lived in 18 different homes in this church as a young man whose family was absent and not healthy. And in the midst of his matric year, had to live in Wally's house to get through matric, to have a half-stable environment to do that. And then moved from house to house, a son of this house. But has allowed leaders and God to fashion something spectacular as a gift for this time, this season in the church. Not addicted to wine, not pugnacious or quick-tempered, uncontentious, free from the love of money, mismanaged his own house, not a new believer, a good reputation with outsiders is important. These are the markers. These are the measures. Let's talk. Not self-will, loving what is good, just, devout, holding to the word. And there are other factors like competence. There, there's a, an ability to teach, an ability to think. But I promise you now, what's not the first marker of a leader in the church is gifting. There's nowhere in the scripts that says gifted or must have a profound teaching gift. It's not there. It's character. And when Bunty Chirimuri leads up to, to lead worship in this church and people follow, it's because behind there you don't know the story, the battles fought, the years crossing borders and nations to worship God, facing up to challenges, chemistry as in what God is doing with the team, courage and calling. And I just want to ask, do you receive leadership in your life? I'm talking about in your workplace as well. Oh, but they swear. No, there are God-given grace gifts upon every single person's life. And God will keep revealing and releasing gifts. Whether they worship Jesus or not, there are grace gifts upon people's lives. And some of the greatest lessons I've learned are through unbelievers. As God reveals and uses grace upon their lips, and they would speak into my life. An amazing lady named Sheila McCarthy, who's very tough business lady who was the heart of her game in a multinational, international company. As a young age, I glibly signed off a document. The implication was 600,000 rand went down the drain. She called me into office. I'm, this is not a lady you mess around with. 23 years old, walking in, my knees are shaking. That doesn't happen often. She said, have you learned your lesson? I said, what do you mean? So will you do what's required? There's a process, there's a system. Will you sign off properly and will you take responsibility for this? And I said, I will. It won't happen again. That was the end of the conversation. I learned that there. Will you allow leaders into your life and see the gift upon their life? You don't have to agree with everything. But allow leaders and in the church. And let me break it down, not just me, because I'm the pulpit guy or the preacher man or whatever role I have. But there are leaders littered through this community with gifts upon their lives who have sought God and hear God and know His Word. And my pastor sits at the back there every week. One of my pastors' name's Andrew Gaveda. He's one of my pastors. How will you get the most out of leaders in your life? But I want to read a short scripture and help us. And I, I don't actually have time to read the whole scripture. It's Hebrews 13. Hebrews is written to a people who are tired of fighting battles. And they're tired of fighting battles. And, and Paul just has this last chapter. He's just like, sort your marriages out, sort your life out, trust God, live a good life. He just, poo, 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 poo. He's just got one more kind of chapter. He says these simple things. He says, verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Like, boom, little leadership statement. He says, remember them. 
Exercise memory who spoke the word of God to you. Are there leaders in your life who speak the word of God to you? Because if there aren't leaders who speak the word of God to you, I'm telling you, you need biblical leaders who speak the word of God to you. And when you sit down with them, they ask you questions based on the word of God. If you don't have that, you're missing something in your growth journey. It says consider. means to look again and again and again and again upon their lives. Say consider their lives. It says imitate their faith. Let me just be honest. That's why I believe in local church. That's why we'd rather release leaders and multiply because to be in each other's world so that you can see my wife is happy and actually loves me. And that my kids are naughty, but we're on a journey too. (laughs) But you can't see that over a TV screen when your preacher's in America. You can't. It's going to be very hard to consider the outcome of their way of life. And then God, and then all of a sudden you see websites and things popping up like preachers and sneakers. And it's like, shucks, my pastor spends on sneakers and they start considering and it's not good. God says, be in community together. Why? Because no preachers out of the body. Don't know why I did that. Rory got a photo on Friday night from me speaking at the conference, and I'm doing this because I always rip him off about doing this when he starts preaching. (laughs) says, and that hand, that was the statement, and that hand. And um, says, imitate their faith. I don't have time to teach all of this particularly. says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with groaning, and that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey is such a strong word. In this world especially, we don't obey anyone, let alone the traffic cops. Or the, now you're telling me come into a house, I'm going to get saved by Jesus, set free only to obey. No, I'm not asking. The Bible says, it says there will be freedom and life and submit in those things. But here's the thing, it says, as they keep watch over your soul, the, the Greek word is a grupnio which literally means to abstain completely from sleep. You know what doesn't keep me up at night? Whether this projector works or not, or whether that sound desk works or not, or whether that TV screen or the coffee is hot or cold. You know what keeps me up at night? is your lives. And the people who aren't here, and the people who have disappeared. And I'm not the guy to phone and say, why won't you at church on Sunday? And we will never do that. But please don't think no one's praying. Please don't think no one's staying up at night fighting for your marriage. It's the only thing that keeps me up at night. And it's a privilege. And it's a joy. I need to really move. Point number three, pray for us. Paul just literally writes that, verse 18. Pray for us. I'm asking if you want to receive the gift of leadership in life, pray for us. Pray for them right now as they make a big transition in their family with their young family and stepping out of the safety of a corporate world into working for a church with two kids that weren't here a couple of years ago. Pray for them. And lastly, greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Let me show where I put the emphasis there. And all the Lord's people. Number one, to greet someone, you have to have a relationship with them. If you are at church and you've been here for, I, I love the fact that people tell me they've been here since 1990, wherever, before the church was born, because I don't know you, and I'm here all the time. Let's get to know each other. Let's greet each other. But I love the emphasis, and all God's people, because you're only greeting the preacher, man, something's very wrong. 
We're called to be in community and greet all God's people. I remember we're standing at, at uh, Musica, looking at music one day, and this little lady walked up to me, didn't look at me. She just said, great worship yesterday. Like in this weird, awkward little voice. I was like, what? What? And she was at church with me. She didn't know how to greet me. And apparently I'm intimidating. So that was her way of greeting me. I was like, don't ever do that again. But let us be people who understand that leadership is a gift. And read Hebrews 13 about Paul saying, how do you receive from that gift? And then receive the gift. And not just in the church, but very much in the church as well. And stop. One story and then I must run because I'm actually going to Milneton this morning just to share something of this. I remember going to Rory one day, a man who I'd watched for 15 years, and I had now stepped out of the marketplace, and I said, Raw, you never give me feedback. You don't, I, I want you to tell me where I'm wrong. I want you, and he just said, Mark, I love you, and I believe I know something of what God's called you to, but I don't want my fingerprints all over you. I want his fingerprints on you, which means sometimes I've got to take my hand off you so that you can allow his hand to come on you. And I want to leave you with that thought, that as a leadership, we're horribly imperfect. We're giving it our best shot. We consider it an unbelievable privilege. We take nothing for granted that people would come, that we would have the privilege of leading in this space. But our desire is not that our fingerprints would be on you. Our desire is that the fingerprints of heaven would be upon your lives through the mystery of the kingdom of God and how God operates. And, but I do believe that when you allow leadership into your world, and by leadership, I'm not talking just elders. I'm talking about God's leaders. Rick Thompson is not an elder in a church. He's just the guy who led me in life group. He used to feed me. He used to keep a seat for me when I'd pitch up smelling off the rugby practice. He would look after me. He was the older brother who, when my parents got liquidated, he was the first man who came to RJ's when I was waiting to stay alive and on a 35 rand bill gave me a 50 rand tip. When that man phones you at one o'clock in the morning and says, get in your car and go home, you don't argue, you don't debate whether that is a good hand upon your life. You just receive it and you start to grow. Hear my heart this morning. Come and celebrate on Friday night. And let us open up our hearts again. And if your story is one of brokenness and pain with leadership, find yourself in the presence of God. Forgive where you need to. And allow God to heal, restore, and do what He does.